from what I can see, you all got an extra hour of sleep last night. If you went to bed at normal time. And also, you woke up this morning, and it is November the 1st. Where did the year go? Tuesday is a big day for our nation. Election day. And if you kept your ears open the last while, many people have been vocal about their opinion on the two candidates. If you listen closely, some express concern, some express fear. What's going to happen after the election? What does the next four years look like? You've heard comments, what if and what then? Questions could be asked. I have one to ask this morning. It's simply this. What should be the response or the reaction from the Christian about, our or about the election on Tuesday? What should be our response? Who are we? Who are we serving? Where do we place our trust? Do I have a right to be fearful? Does God want us to live in fear? And we could go on with that. I understand 2020 has been quite a year. I, I, COVID is real. Early on, there were comments made that it's all politics. We all know that's not the case. COVID is real, has hit close home. And now we have the election coming up. If, if you're, feeling, if you're feeling on the edge, if you're feeling a little worried or anxious, I don't think you are alone. But what we need to remember, uncertainty quickly leads to fear, and fear erodes our faith. So we need to be careful with how we're feeling. Fear can be powerful. It has been said that fear is one of Satan's most used tactics, tactics to, get, to get God's people to fear God. We know Satan and his tricks, how he comes about and attacks the, the Christian in various different ways. But he found out that fear can be used for his agenda and can be used for his gain. But we have the power to overcome anxiety and fear as we stand on God's promises. And maybe sometimes it's easier to stand on God's promises when we have small problems but when we think of Tuesday, we think of a big problem. You're saying God can't handle that? God can. So despite how, how we f are feeling, I believe we need to remember that God is on the throne. God is on the throne, and God is aware of what is happening here in 2020 in our nation. I also am convinced that our faith is strong. As I look out across the, the audience this morning, we have a good Christian heritage, we have a strong faith. And then we can receive encouragement from others in the faith. And we have so much to be thankful for. We thank God for his blessings, for our Christian heritage, as I mentioned, that we can be this morning, we are a child of the king. But did the thought ever cross your mind that God is not capable of handling this 2020 presidential election? And I'm I ask that question, hoping everybody can say, no, I'm not even concerned about it. And that's where I want you to be. 
But did you ever think that God can't handle this? And that's like placing the ability of God in a box within four, in four sides and say, okay, God, you can handle everything in this box, but I'm not sure if you're aware or capable of handling things outside this imaginary box. And we've we got to be careful that we don't go there with God because we know his ability and his power. If things are feeling out of control, what, what can we do? A number of things. But call the children up front and ask them to sing, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, and there's nothing my God cannot do. From the mouths of our children, we have truth that we should plant within our hearts and live in peace with. And as I asked, uh, asked before, does God want us to live in fear? No. God does not want us to live in fear. That's not his desire. He's not the source of it. He is the solution for it. In times of uncertainty, read John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John 14, 27. Peace, Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. I'm not sure if this world can give us any peace. He said, not as the world giveth unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What more needs to be said? Let's just put our confidence in God and say, you know, God, you're in control, and we are your people. That's, don't look at God's promises and see boundaries, but instead, let's stand upon his promises firmly and without fear. This morning, we're going to look for a message that's three Old Testament stories and to see how our people in the Old Testament handled tides of uncertainty. And then we're going to have our fourth point from John 18, which gives us the title for the message. The title for the message is, My Kingdom is Not of This World. And John 18, Pilate said that to, Jesus said that to Pilate back there in John 18. We'll get to there here shortly. For the first point is, Stand Still and See. And all three familiar accounts from the Old Testament, we can go to Exodus chapter 14 for our first point. Exodus 14, the children of Israel here, after the tenth plague, the children of Israel, which was the death of the firstborn, uh, Pharaoh finally let the children of Israel go. And we know the story, God led them to the Red Sea. In the beginning of chapter 14, God actually comes out and he tells Moses exactly what he's going to do. Look at verse 4, God speaking to Pharaoh. I'm sorry, God's speaking to Moses. Pharaoh, he's talking about Pharaoh. Chapter 14, verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And notice God told Moses, he said, I'm, I will harden his heart, and Pharaoh will pursue after the children of Israel. And this is exactly what happened. Verse 6, 7 tells us that 600 chosen chariots plus all the chariots of Israel, picture that, each carrying two people, one to drive, one to fight. They were pursuing after the children of Israel. So just a short time earlier, in chapter 12, verses 34 to 38, we see the children of Israel leaving Egypt with their, head held, with their heads held high. This has been great. Finally, they can get out from under the bondage that Pharaoh had them in and the slavery that they were in. And now just a few verses later, here in chapter 10, uh, 14, verse 10, the children of Israel are sore afraid and cried out with fear. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. 
This was just a short time after they had witnessed the miracles of the ten plagues. Fear sets in in verse 10. It quickly turns to grumbling and complaining in verses 11 and 12 to the point where they said, Moses, we would have been better off if you would have just left us back there in slavery in Egypt than to bring us out here to die in this wilderness. Um, why didn't you just leave us alone? And the children of Israel thought that they had an answer to the problem. They thought, we can take care of this. We have the solution. However, their solution did not agree with God's plan. And I, I tie that into our thought for Tuesday. And maybe we think that we know who will best fit the position. But I like to ask the question, and that is simply, what does God have in mind for us? What does God have in mind? So in this, back to Exodus here, we can look at their response and how, and we could dig into what they said to Moses, which was not very polite at all. But the exciting part in this story is what Moses tells them. Moses, the answer that Moses gave to them, that's in verse 13. It's kind of like a three-step answer or like a three-step command. Verse 13, and Moses said unto the people, here we have number one, fear not. Number two, stand still. Number three, see the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 14. The Lord said, the Lord, Moses said, the Lord shall fight for you. And what, what are you going to do in return? You're going to hold your peace. The people wanted to run with nowhere to go. The Red Sea was in front of them. The Egyptian army was behind them. Running wasn't an option. Then you can start asking some questions about their time of uncertainty here. Why did the Lord lead them here? Why did he lead them into this trap? Did he not know what was going to happen? Look back at verse 4. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the outcome of the story. And he said, this is the reason I'm leading you here. He says, because I am going to be honored. And the enemy is going to know that I am the Lord. All you need to do, children of Israel, number one, fear not. Number two, stand still. Number three, watch. What? What? What I would like to bring out here in these three accounts in uh, the Old Testament is the power and the ability of the God that they served back, in these, back here in the Old Testament. And it's the same God that you and I are serving today. When it feels like the world is crumbling around you and it feels like you're at loss of what to do, there is a possibility that God has you exactly where he wants you. And then maybe it's time that we just stand still and allow him to work. Do you ever feel like you're a place of how should I turn? Maybe God's speaking to you at that very time. There was nothing the children of Israel could do. Nothing it is except is to listen and obey Moses. And it gets, it's so interesting because the next command from God that he gives to Moses was in verse... Uh, Tell the children of Israel to move forward. There it is, verse 15. And Moses said unto Mo, Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Did we not just look at the, the Red Sea was before them? And the children of Israel, the Egyptian army behind them? And now he says, move forward. Look at verse 22. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and onto their left hand. Here's the point for this, for, uh, for this point this morning. Be careful. We cannot limit the power nor the ability of God. Who would have thought they led him to a sea that he could dry up the Red Sea and so they could walk through? Imagine your children, your three-year-olds walking through there and poking the wall on the left and poking the wall on the right. I believe that actually happened. 
although it doesn't tell us that. Because I would do that even at my age, as young as I still am. But how the children just walking through there on dry ground. The Lord just dried it up, and they went through. It gets better. We think about small details in life. So whatever you are struggling with, you might, and I've, I've said it already, well, is God really concerned about my aching shoulder or whatever it may be? Is, does God care about the small things? And what is, so you got the picture. The children of Israel are walking through the sea, and here come the Egyptian army behind them. And then it, came, it said, and it came to pass, I'm in verse 24, then the morning watch, the Lord looked through, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. What does it mean he troubled the host? Basically, I look at that, he was starting, he caused some trouble for them. Now picture our God and picture a small thing. And he says this, he took off their chariot wheels. And that's just, that's just such a blessing. Did he go down there and pull them pins? I'm, I picture these wheels being pushed on and pins drops that can't come off. They probably wobbled when they went. He pulled the pins and the wheels fell off. And we know the rest of the story. When we think that God can't handle the small things in our life, go back to Exodus 14. God took the wheels off the chariots. Yes, he parted the Red Sea, which is a miracle in itself. But fear not, stand still and see his salvation. For point number two is he is able. You can go to Daniel chapter 3. Here we have King Nebuchadnezzar. He made a, a large image out of gold. And he commanded people to bow down and to worship the, uh, this idol. He says this, whenever you hear, the command was simple, whenever you hear a sound of the music, you're supposed to fall down and worship this idol that I set up. Easy to understand, except... These three young men knew that idolatry was wrong, and they refused to bow. So the command was given in, in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 6. The punishment is given. It is a simple command. When you hear these, this music, bow and worship. Number chapter 3, verse 6. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth the, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. They had two choices. Number one, obey the king's command and, and bow down and worship this large idol that he had set up. Or number two, uh, uh, burn to death. Was this a time of compromise? Maybe bowing, but not actually worshiping. It almost appears the king liked these, these young men, so he gave them a second chance in verse 15. And by this time, he was incredibly angry, but still offered them a way out. So then in verse, he said, I'll give you a second chance. But in verses 16 and 17 and 18, we see their response to the time of uncertainty. Chapter 6, chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able, there we get my point from, to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. In verse 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. It just, we call them three young men, how old they were, I'm not sure, 
They said the God who we serve, which is the God who we serve today, November 1st, 2020, is able to deliver us. And then he took it a step further and said, King, he will deliver us out of your hand. And ponder their comment for a moment. How many, did this ever happen before? How many people did the three boys know that were delivered from, this, from a furnace? To my knowledge, none. So how could they tell the king with confidence what was going to happen? Did they have something that we're missing today? But according to, we're in the Old Testament, we're still talking before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, they had complete confidence in the sovereignty of God. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong. Idolatry was wrong. They said, we will not go that direction. We're willing to die if that's what it is. But they, they had complete confidence in the sovereignty of God. And God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. Whatever God decides to do, that's what's going to happen. They said, King, we're not careful. We don't have to answer you in this matter. This is our verdict. This is where we are at. We're standing here. We're, you can play your music. We're not going to bow and worship this. You can cast us into the fire. That's okay, King. But we're not going to, we'll still, we'll, we'll die, but we're not going to worship this idol. God's sovereignty is absolutely everything that he needs to bring about his purposes. Whatever that is, God sees to it that it will happen. We're looking at God's supreme power and his authority. So we need to be careful that we don't limit our faith, nor the power and ability of God to past experiences and happenings. We need to be careful there. We don't say, well, I, I never saw that happen, so until I see that happen, I'm not going to believe it. We, need to be, we can't go there. Thomas tried that. He said, except I see the, prints and nail, uh, the nail prints of Jesus' hands and thrust my hand aside, I'm not going to believe that he's still alive. And Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We can't believe. Believing only after an experience or being an actual witness of a happening is not genuine faith. We need to be careful with that. Hebrews 1, 11, 1. What is faith? The substance of things Hope for the evidence of things not seen. So faith will treat things uh, hope for as fact. For example, how many believe that someday we're going to go to heaven? Yes, I think you'd all raise your hand. How many believe what John said? He, Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. I think we all believe that. How many of you have seen it? Nobody. But we believe it. That is faith. And then also, faith places confidence today in what has been promised for the future. We go back to the example of heaven again. We're placing confidence here this morning in the fact that someday we're going to be delivered from all this violence and riots and stuff that's happening here, and we're going to be going to heaven to spend eternity with Jesus. Faith is an absolute conviction based on the assurance of God's unchanging and perfect character that what God has promised will happen. And I trust we are all there as well. There are so many things that we do not know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know who controls tomorrow. And we obviously don't know what's going to happen Tuesday, but we have our preferences. But still, we have to just trust in God that everything will happen as his plan. For the believer, seeing is believing. Go back to the example of Thomas there. Unless I see that, I'm not going to believe it. For the, I'm sorry, for the unbeliever, that's the case. For the believer, for you and I this morning, believing is seeing. And just to read a few verses from Hebrews 11. We know this here is, our, is the, the faith chapter. Verse 
think of, of not seeing, yet, yet believing. Hebrews uh, 11, verse, verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Correct me if I'm wrong, there was no rain upon the earth at this point. And the guy comes to Noah and says, oh, I'm gonna, there's going to be a flood, build an ark. Noah said, what, an ark? By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. God said, God promised it's going to happen. Prepare an ark to the saving of his house. How about verse 27? By faith, Moses here, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Pharaoh doesn't bother me. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Oh, God is there. I didn't see him, but I can picture him there. And he moved by faith. 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you Though now ye see him, not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, our faith is not on what we can actually see, not in something tangible, but what we have hoped for. That's what we see. And that's what we place our confidence in today. Back to Daniel. Did God allow these, the deliverance of these three Hebrew boys so that they could be honored, that they could look great? No, it's that his name could be honored and glorified. After they were delivered, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of these three young men who sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. He said, Therefore make a degree that every people, nation, language who speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces and their house shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this source. After this sort. Just a few verses earlier, he was saying, if you don't obey me, you're going to die. And now he's saying, blessed be the God. God just, he showed his ability. And look what happened. Even the king changed his tune and started singing a different note. And here we have it. Don't speak against the God because there's no one else who could deliver after this sort. They were willing to die for their faith if God would have allowed it. But what shines through here is their confidence in that the God that they served was and today is still able to deliver from whatever we may face. Was that an enjoyable experience? It was not. Is our experiences always enjoyable? They are not. But God was there and God will be with us. And that's God's promise to his people. Not necessarily to spare us from the fire, but to help us through the midst of it. Another, uh, these small details that are God, we, all, we know God's a God of order, but also here we see that God he, he, uh, I think he, he smiles when he can do these little things that, uh, just some small details. If you ever go out and mom or dad says, go burn the trash, and you light the fire, you make sure it's burning, by the time you walk back into your house, what do you smell like? Smoke. This is a good time of the year for campfires. You sit around there for five minutes, you go home, what do your clothes smell like? Smoke. Okay, you didn't even, you lit the fire and walked away, you stood around a campfire and left, you smell like smoke. These three Hebrew boys were in the midst of the fire, the Bible tells us walking around, and they leave and they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke. 
my point is just the power and the ability of God. God is just little details like that. I'm just going to remove the smoke smell from your suit, Ray. You can walk on the fire, walk back out. The hair wasn't even singed. Do you ever see hair and the fire doesn't get singed? Just remember who God, who our God is. Someone said a man of God in the will of God is immortal until his work on earth is done. That's all, that we, that's all the Christian needs to know about our future. Am I in the will of God? Is God pleased with my walk of life? Am I following his footsteps? And what a blessing it is to know that we can and we are right with God. We're not careful to answer because our God is able. Let's go to Joshua 6 for point number 3. Here we have another uh, familiar story. Point number three is able to remove walls from Joshua 6. We saw the strength and the ability of our God already in the part of the Red Sea and also delivering the Hebrew boy from the furnace. And here we see another picture of the ability of our God. So jumping in here at Joshua chapter 6, it's time to conquer the city of Jericho. And they were told to destroy everything except for Rahab and her house. And here was the battle plan. March around the city one time a day for six days. Get up in the morning, march around the city. Next day for six days. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, blow the trumpets, shout, and these great big walls are going to fall flat. Make sense? The people, the Israelites, were not prepared to defeat Jericho in a conventional manner, the way other, other battles were fought. And the residents of Jericho were afraid of the children of Israel, and their city was, was well protected, they were well armed, and they were prepared for war. Joshua 6.1, we see that Jericho was straightly shut up. No one came in, no one went out, meaning they were ready for an attack. In the old days, these ancient 45 cities, some of their walls were 20 feet tall. Some of their walls were eight feet thick. The time of attack, they had two or three gates across the openings to protect them. Plus, they had men up in the towers that could shoot arrows down to people that came to the wall, or they could dump stuff on them. So from looking at by that respect, uh, Jericho was basically impossible to enter, much less to conquer. So we could look at the question, where did Joshua get his confidence? Joshua was their leader. Had he doubted God's ability, the rest of the army would have as well. But Joshua moved forward with confidence because God had told him, even before the fighting began, God promised, I have given Jericho into your hand. Verse 2, the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. God promised... And Joshua responded with confidence. Romans 8, 37, believers are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And this means that every child of God can enter into every spiritual battle with the assurance that the war has already been, already been won and that through obedience, the outcome is certain. We're not a defeated people. We're living in victory. And with confidence in our Lord and Savior, fear will disappear. Back to Jericho, the, the Lord had a very unusual battle plan. 
His plan was impossible in the eyes of the world. But when Jericho fell, he alone, the Lord alone, would get the credit. Why? Because it was only his invisible hand that could make them walls fall flat. The task, when you think about it, was virtually impossible in man's eyes, but was less than a challenge for the Lord. But we have to remember that after the walls fell down, the, wall, the city still needed to be conquered. So the Lord removed the biggest hindrance, but the people still had to work. And even today, he's willing to do his part, and we need to be willing to do ours. How did these walls fall? After obeying and carefully following Joshua's command, correct, but also watching God do his work. If, if you're facing a Jericho wall in your life, what are we to do? Take it to the Lord. There are parts of the battle that, that he will take care of, and then we can handle the remainder. Remember the story of Queen Esther. A decree was sent out to kill all the Jews. So her uncle, Mordecai, said, go talk to the king. Perhaps you became a queen for such a time as this. And she said, I cannot go to the king because he didn't call me. And if he goes, if I go to the king and he don't hand out his golden rod to me, the law says that she would put to death. And later on, she said, let's fast for three days, then I will go into the king. And if I perish, I perish. And if you read the account of Esther, prayer is not mentioned back in, in that account. But I feel like prayer and fasting were combined. Esther was facing the Jericho wall. She called her people together to prayer and fasting. Let's place this situation in God's hands and allow him to do the work. And he did. When, we, when God allows a Jericho situation in your life, it's not that he wants to see a struggle. I don't think God ever wants to, wants to see a struggle. But he wants us to go to him and ask for assistance and deliverance. It's not always that it's not that we don't, if God puts a challenge into your, your life, it's not that, oh, I have sinned. No, it's not that we have wandered away from God, but it's, is it God's way of drawing us closer and also his way of revealing his power and his ability? The wall that we're facing may be too high for us to get over, too low for us to go under and too thick to go through. But the wall is a small hindrance in the eyes of the Lord. Why? For he is able. Another thing we have to look at here as we look at these three accounts, that God's way is always best. Moses told the people what? He told them to stand still. Just stand still and see God work. The Hebrew boys said with confidence, God is able. And they left to go from there. Joshua told the people here to blow the trumpet, shout, make some noise. The Lord has given them the city. Three different accounts, three different ways that the Lord had, had taken care of the, the issue. And your experience in life may be different than mine or different from someone else that you know. But whether the Lord comes to you and tells you to stand still or shout, it doesn't make a difference as long as we are Lord's on our side. For rest assured, He is able. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For our Lord is able to deliver us and He is able to remove the wall. And the stories reveal the power of God, and the, the, how he provides and protects for those who put their confidence in him. So, in the New Testament, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And all along, the Jews were looking for some king that would rise up and set up an earthly kingdom here in the earth. And in the midst of it all, they completely missed the mission of Jesus Christ, refusing to accept him as their king and later they demanded him to be crucified. 
And that brings us to the account in John 18. The fourth point is, my kingdom is not of this world. So in John 18, towards the end of the chapter, uh, we see Jesus and Pilate. And the Jews had delivered Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate was here trying to figure out the motive. I'm going to read verses 33 to 37. Then Pilate entered, John 18, then Pilate entered into the kingdom hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nations and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. John does not tell us, but sometime earlier, Pilate heard the accusation that Jesus claimed to be a king. That's found in Luke 23, verse 2. So here in verse 33, Pilate comes right out and asks him, said, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' answer was interesting. He said, in, in other words, he's saying, are you asking for your own information as a Roman governor? Do you fear perhaps that I'm going to become a king and set up a rebel government? Or, he said, are you using the word king to mean a religious ruler or the Messiah? Which was the correct answer. And Pilate did not appreciate his answer that Jesus gave, so he fired back and he said, Am I a Jew? Do you think a Roman like me knows about your Jewish ways? It's your own leaders who brought you to me. What have you done to offend them? Pilate viewed the whole trial as a result of petty religious bickering among the Jewish leaders. He said they were kind of against each other. That's what he was thinking. The whole reason was that they brought him to Jesus. But in verse 36, Jesus responds to the answer to the question that Pilate asked him in verse 33. That he does indeed have a kingdom. But Jesus told Pilate, Pilate, you know what? My kingdom is not of this world. We are of another kingdom. It's not of this world. Jesus said, my reason for coming to this earth was not to build power and recognition followed by an attempt to draw a supportive crowd. It's not why he came. Jesus made it clear he did not come to set up a kingdom that would interfere with the Roman government. Pilate had nothing to fear. He says, my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is a kingdom that rules over the hearts and the wills of human consciences. He rules over our hearts and our conscience. He is in control of our lives. Christ is saying, my kingdom is not supported by armies and maintained by taxes. So this is exactly opposite of what Pilate was set up there to do. He went on, his kingdom has servants, people who will not fight to secure his deliverance from the Jews. My servants will not use swords and spears, I mean swords and shields. Yes, just earlier here in this, in this uh, chapter, verses 10 and 11, uh, when they come out to get Jesus, what did Peter do? He had a sword. 
He smote the high priest's servant's ear and cut off his right ear. He smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But then Jesus said, Peter, put up thy thy sword into the sheath. And it has been there ever since. We don't carry swords and shields. We're not out there to fight. Our servant, Jesus said his servants will not participate in violence against individuals or nations. Why? Brothers and sisters, we have been called to a higher calling. Christians are what? We heard it often, yes. We're called little Christ. But we're called out of this world system. We're called out of this world system. And we're called to live a life of separation. Romans 13, 1 through 7. So we're separate. What are we doing? We're following our king. Yes, Jesus Christ is our king. What are we here to do? Our aim is to please him, our desire to be obedient to him, and to spread the word as we heard in Sunday school lesson this morning. But his people, which is you and I, need to be cautious how involved we become in our nation's government. For why? We are citizens of another country. Well, we're on the planet Earth. We are, but we're only here temporarily for we're planning to leave. Hebrews 13, 14. For we have here no continuing city, but, but what? We seek one to come. The world, the, the song ties it up so well. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Why? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, and the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I just simply cannot feel at home in this world anymore. Where is our hearts? Where are our treasures? Brothers and sisters, we need to take this to heart. There needs, I do believe there needs to be balance in life. I heard one person say, my neighbor doesn't even know the name of our president. I don't think it's wrong to know the name of your president. That's not where, that's not where I'm going. But we need to be careful when we become too anxious about Tuesday's results. We're not of this world. We need to place our confidence in the Lord in the fact that he is able to provide and protect for those who put their trust in him. The children of Israel thought their life was over. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought their life was over. And, and Joshua and the armor facing, in, in, in my eyes, an impossibility. But through it all, everything just got taken care of. Don't feel anxious about what's going to happen. Put your trust and your confidence in him. Real quick, fear not. Stand still. See the salvation of our Lord. He is able, also able to remove the walls that we face and able to take us out of this world to our home in glory. Jesus said to Pilate, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm going to close with Philippians 4, 6. Be careful, or could be said anxious about, for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning so grateful for the stories in the Bible and for just pictures of your ability and examples of your children putting their trust and confidence in you. And Lord, you are well aware that Tuesday is a big day for our nation And we just ask, Lord, that your will be accomplished. We just want to put our trust and our confidence in you and not become anxious, but just rest in the fact that you are in control and that you are on the throne. Give us wisdom and direction as we go forth from here. Help us let our light shine wherever we are at and be ambassadors for you, for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Damien, have a song, please.